What are some of the things that are recommended? I don't actually know. I don't know either. Which is why I asked you. <laughs> I don't actually know on that one. Um, I can maybe open this up and tell you. This week, put your organics in a different rutabaga. Calgary might be the more livable city, but our council meetings certainly are a bit shorter. All secondary suites are now legal in Edmonton. The first cannabis rezonings came to council, and one day you may have to separate your garbage. Big Brother might even require clear bags. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Last week at the end of the episode, I implored you all passionately begging you to give us some iTunes reviews. We needed your validation. Not a single one of you validated us. So now this plug is at the top. Yes, I saw the iTunes listener stats. I saw all of you drop off as soon as plug started. So now this is what you get. Collective punishment. Plugs at the top. Please review us on iTunes if you like the show. And now for some rapid fire events from the past week. The Alberta government has laid seven charges against the city of Edmonton for pesticide-related offenses. It turns out the city inadvertently sprayed Hivar XL on the paths in Terwilliger Town in May a couple of years ago in 2016. Maybe the employee just saw a gallon of liquid in an unlabeled milk jug and thought it was miracle Grow. You know, actually, I gotta interrupt the rapid fire of this. This is stupid, okay? We don't need to sue the city of Edmonton with taxpayer dollars for lawyers to generate the suit, go to a court with a judge paid by taxpayer dollars for the Alberta government to say that employee screwed up. This is dumb. The next item, Don Iveson donning his best Hagrid beard let the media know that the Valley Line West won't be a P3. After he admitted, shouldn't have said that. His office began to walk back the statement, saying a P3 was still on the table. But you heard it here first. I really, really don't think it's on the table. And finally, Calgary was ranked the fourth most livable city in the world by the Economist Intelligence Unit. Vancouver took sixth and Toronto took seventh. Edmonton did not even make the list. I guess Edmonton's existing branding and marketing efforts economist the mark. This week, it's a bit lighter than the previous weeks, and this isn't because council took a vacation. It's just a function of how our council and committee system worked. Last week, it was committees, so all these reports go to various committees. Councillors all debate the issues, hear from the public, and generally do all the hard work of putting together reasoned recommendations for council to approve. That comes up to council the next week, this week, and... Typically, council will just rubber stamp committee's recommendation. Great, meeting done in 12 minutes. The only big issues that typically come up on council weeks, if there's not a huge debate like, say, Uber or speed limits, is at public hearing. That's where rezoning issues go, and occasionally we'll get a 40-story tower that takes several days to debate. But this week we had a small public hearing, but there were a couple interesting items. What happened, Mac? There were a bunch of items on the list, but two in particular caught my eye. The very first two rezonings to add cannabis retail sales as permitted uses took place. One of them was in Summerside and one of them was in Westmount. The city recommended that the council approve both of those, and they did. Why wouldn't they approve some of these? Did anyone come out and speak against They did hear from the public on both of these. They heard some different things. In Summerside, they had two concerns from residents about the proximity of the cannabis, the proposed cannabis retail location to a daycare and also to a stormwater pond. Uh, It turns out that the city's zoning bylaw does not require any kind of distance between a place where you can buy cannabis and a daycare. So there was no need to not approve that one. With these rezonings, it's not 
there's a single family home neighborhood and we're allowing cannabis uses. The rezonings are from direct control zoning. So an area that the city specifically has a template for how development should go in this neighborhood. And they're just adding cannabis stores as one of the potential uses. And both locations are very busy intersections. 90th Street and 25th Avenue Southwest in Summerside is a major intersection. And in Westmount, uh, 124th Street and 106th Avenue is also a very high traffic location. So you're right. It's not like it's just a residential area. We had one committee come up this week, and that was the Utility Committee. It's just a bit off the cycle. It's not on the regular week like all the other committees. Garbage and Organics came up, and... If you'll remember back in episode one, we predicted garbage and organic separation. It's going to be one of the big issues this year. So council discussed a number of things. There were several reports. There was a 25-year strategic outlook for how we might handle garbage collection and recycling. Uh, There were alternative collection options for yard waste. There were source-separated organics, industrial sector strategic review, extended producer responsibility, reduction of single-use plastics, and food waste reduction. There was a lot of stuff. It's like they saved it all for this one meeting. So as we've heard before, and we talked about in our first episode, the city is not doing so well when it comes to diverting waste from landfill. We had a target way up here, and we're way down here. For the yeah listener, Max hand was initially at 90% and then was down at 39%. So a lot of these reports are geared at how can we improve our percentage and divert more waste from landfill. So the first couple, the business plan, the 25-year strategic outlook, those are really what are we going to do to make sure that in the next budget cycle and then over the next 25 years, we orient our waste services to do a better job, basically, of uh, diverting waste from landfill. And sort of the next steps on both of those are really about public engagement. There was alternative collection and diversion options for grass, leaf, and yard waste. Um, They estimate, the city estimates, that if we could change the way we do this, we could improve our diversion rate by 4%. Which doesn't sound very big, but when you consider the total tonnage of garbage that we produce each year, it's significant. This one was particularly interesting because when I cut down a tree in my backyard, I don't expect to put it in the trash bin with like my yogurt containers. But in Edmonton, that's what you do. Evidently you do. Yeah, you cut it up, you bundle it up, you put it on the corner and they throw it in the garbage truck. Council and administration is simply proposing, well, maybe we separate this. Maybe we have a single truck that comes maybe every month or so, like with Christmas tree pickups, and it'll collect the yard waste and then do some sort of recycling or composting with it. Of the 260,000 tons of residential waste that we generate annually, 50,000 of it is related to this type of spring, summer, fall yard waste. If you just leave your clippings on the lawn, I'm sure we could reduce that by a lot. Grass cycling. This specific yard waste separation, the recommendation was to pursue separating yard wastes in 2019. So in 2019, they're They will encourage people not to put yard waste in the garbage and they'll send out the separate truck and they'll do a sort of pilot project. But importantly, there will be no law against putting grass clippings in your garbage bag. That might come in 2020 and with it, a collection of challenges. And the reason they're not implementing a law is because when you have a law, someone has to enforce it. And to enforce it, you need to pay people. So that requires money money and specifically it's a hard problem to verify what's in people's trash which is why the suggestion is perhaps we force people to use clear plastic bags so you could see what's in the bag 
Not only is that a fantastic idea, I can't see anything that goes wrong with putting clear plastic bags full of everything you used from the week on the curb at the end of the week. No problems with that at all. Michael Walters on Council brought up a specific problem with that. If we're trying to reduce single-use plastics in the city of Edmonton, trash bags and clear plastic bags are by definition a single-use plastic. So at the moment, we're evaluating more options. Some of them might be Like in other municipalities, you have a bin, a green bin, a blue bin, and a black bin for your garbage, recycling, and organics. Speaking of organics, another item that came up at Utility Committee was the source-separated organics pilot. So the idea here is that you would separate out your organic waste from your trash right at your house instead of relying on the city of Edmonton to do that at some point down the line. This one, they estimate, could improve the single-unit residential diversion rate by 7%. So that gets us a little bit closer, a little bit better than 4%. They have four options that they've outlined, and they're going to be testing those this fall in a public engagement session. And then in the spring next year is when they'll implement a pilot for source-separated organics. So one lucky neighborhood, maybe, will get to do a pilot of this program at a cost of $1.3 million. Based on how that pilot goes, uh, council will then decide whether or not to take this program forward or how to take it forward. What council often does is they'll say, this is a unique, cool idea. Let's do a pilot project to see if this works. Every other municipality in the world has done this. You can go to Sherwood Park and ask them, hey, five years ago you did this thing. How'd it work out? Any lessons learned? But yet we insist on doing this pilot project. And then we have consultation to figure out what did Edmonton feel about this pilot project? It strikes me as shockingly arrogant that Edmontonians think, We're just going to throw everything into one bag and some chump in a factory is going to dig through my banana peels and my sticks and my yogurt cups and put them all in the right place. But that's what was sold, right? The Edmonton Waste Management Center, which was supposed to be so amazing to not only separate out your popsicle sticks, but also come up with a way to do that that we could sell to China. That's what we were sold on. Someone should tell the city of Edmonton that this is basically bench plaques V2. Garbage. This isn't what we were sold. There were two other um, somewhat less interesting items at the utility committee before we get on to the final two more interesting ones. One was the Industrial, Commercial, and Institutional Sector Strategic Review. It's quite a mouthful. The gist of it is that the city is going to engage with industrial, commercial, and institutional sector to try to find ways to basically create less waste. Which, it sounds very boring, but just like with climate change, this is how you make a big difference. They produce the most waste. So, yep, definitely that will have an impact. Uh, The second is, I guess, slightly more interesting. It's called extended producer responsibility. Basically, this is an environmental policy where the producers have some sort of responsibility for their products all the way through the life cycle of those products. So it could be financial or some other physical responsibility. So if your product results in a bunch of waste, you as the producer have some responsibility to either pay the municipality for that waste or to look after it yourself. This is aspirational, though. Edmonton can't just say, okay, or Procter and Gamble. Yeah, Procter and Gamble, you're going to pay us for every package you produce. Edmonton can't just do that. They would require the province of Alberta, the government of Alberta, to implement a program like this. And if they did that, um, then Edmonton could save potentially up to $16 million or receive about a $13 million subsidy. But yeah, the city of Edmonton can't unilaterally go and do this. Another item that came up, which it keeps on coming back, is the reduction of single-use plastics. And we mentioned it earlier in that, well, bags are single-use plastics, but there's a whole host of other single-use plastics that are getting a lot of media attention. Straws, anyone? The city report came forward and said, these are some strategies we might 
pursue to reduce single-use plastics. What are some of the things that are recommended? Uh, basically, the approaches fall into two major buckets. There's information and education, and then there's the regulatory strategies. So in the first bucket, we're really talking about campaigns to educate people about the problem of single-use plastics. Um, there's the suggestion that maybe there's even workshops directed at grade schools, things like that. Under regulatory strategies, there's everything from sort of prohibitions and laws that prevent people from businesses from offering single-use plastics to things like consumption fees or monetary penalties where you pay a certain amount based on the amount of waste that you generate. Which we're all familiar with. You go to Superstore and it's five cents for a plastic bag. Exactly. Do you think any of this will be effective at reducing single-use plastics? Do you think Edmonton, you know, next year will say, okay, businesses, no more straws and that'll be that? There has there's there's evidence that getting rid of plastic bags, shopping bags at grocery stores has been effective. So I think there's a good chance the city of Edmonton will follow in the footsteps of many other municipalities who have started to go down this road and will start to implement programs like these. Whether they're going to change everything on their own, no, probably not. But I think they'll help move the needle. I think especially with the plastic bags, it wasn't really a government regulation or a municipality thing. It was the businesses saw a cost of plastic bags and said, look, we can put on an environmentally friendly face while driving down our bottom line. Part of that's true, though a lot of the companies that would have incurred some of those costs also work in other jurisdictions, say the United States, where municipalities do have more ability to imp implement laws that say you have to pay or you're not allowed to have these types of things. So there's pressure in other jurisdictions that then spills over and benefits us as well. I'm sure you will know when this comes to fruition because everywhere has straws. Everywhere. Except Vancouver. Really? First city in Canada to ban plastic straws as of May. So there's no plastic straws in Vancouver? I will admit I don't know the details of the ban, but certainly in this council report, they talk about the city of Vancouver banning plastic straws in May of this year as part of their goal to become zero waste by 2040. Troy's going to learn about that after the show and put some links in the show notes. That's cool. There was a final item. We'll, we're almost done with trash, I promise. What was the last item that came up? Last one was a big one, food waste reduction. So this report was basically about food waste is a big problem. There's a lot of food waste that happens in Edmonton and everywhere else every year. What can we do about it? Um, the report basically came down to educational and social marketing, some sort of way to encourage people to change their behaviors, tell them that food waste is a big problem. It might be a big problem for the people who lined up outside that hundredth Costco that opened by the airport when they buy their seven pounds of strawberries in bulk and throw out five pounds of those at the All end of the All individually week. wrapped as usual. Yep. <laughs> Food waste, it's going to be the big issue, but this is not something that the municipality can tackle. We can say, please, pretty please don't waste your food. But at the end of the day, it's going to be actual actions that cause behavior to change. So when you're forced to put all your wasted food in a small green box, that was the interesting thing right. because in Sherwood Park, they gave you a small, tiny green box to put on your counter for organics. You couldn't fit a lot in there. So it really made you think about food waste. You actually see it, right? Right now you don't see it. It goes into the black bag with everything else and you don't really recognize how much food waste you're throwing out. Secondary suites came up at public hearing this week. They're legal now. The prohibition on secondary suites is over. So this was unanimously approved by council, and it essentially means that you can now have up to four households on lots that previously would have had just one. Now that sounds a lot worse than it actually is. 
break it down. What can you actually have? So we're talking about secondary suites. These are things like basement suites, for instance, that you can add to your, your home. You could already add basement suites to any single family home in Edmonton. This was already permitted use since time immemorial. This new bylaw allows row houses and duplexes and already the multifamily homes to add an additional suite. And it allows it on small lots, which were previously exempt from allowing secondary suites. This is quite a stark change from our neighbors to the south in Calgary, who secondary suites are varying forms of illegal down there, and each individual secondary suite has to go to council for a debate that's long and arduous. This has been the bane in Calgary City Council's existence. Edmonton were fairly progressive in this regard, and it's probably another way that we can get closer to our infill and density targets. It's another tool, so we can't have high-rise buildings everywhere. This is another tool that allows us to get closer to our goals around infill. It was Action 23. I looked it up on the 2018 Evolving Infill Roadmap, so that's a positive thing. Um, in Edmonton, we'll go even further, actually, and not just allow you to do it, but we'll cover up to 50% of the cost if you're going to build a new site or retrofit an existing one, up to a maximum, of course. Um, and in exchange, you've just got to be able to rent the suite out at below market rate for a minimum of five years. Some people didn't like this so much, though, Mac. No, in particular, EFCL. Oh, who might have thoughts on that? I think you might have some thoughts on the Community League's perspective. Full disclosure, I am president of the Hazeldean Community League, so I have the sort of inside sense. And in Hazeldean, our membership in the community is less than 10% are members of the Community League. So when we say things like the Hazeldean Community League supports, I'm very reticent to say that, and I'll make sure to do extensive consultation and actually survey the community before I say that. Not all Community League representatives feel the same way. Yeah, like for example, the EFCL. In Edmonton, the single most conservative stealth lobby organization is the EFCL. If you've ever gone to a meeting and had someone stand in staunch opposition to progress, development, and change in the city, guaranteed that's going to be a member of the EFCL. Why do you think that is? For example, on the secondary suite item, uh, there was one member speaking in opposition, and that was the EFCL representative. They thought that this would have too much drain on the amenities in the area. You know, by increasing density, there's too much tax on the amenities in the area, which might be a valid concern, but it reeks a lot like, but what about the parking? Which, incidentally, is a common EFCL rhetoric. Or when the MNO consultations came up, the mature neighborhood overlay, which says mature neighborhoods in Edmonton must always stay the same. Single family homes, nothing else. The FCL, it stood up and said, we want no reduction to the setbacks. We don't want permitted uses for row housing. We want Edmonton to stay just as it is, which is the definition of conservatism. There are some rules, obviously, attached with these secondary suites. They have to have a dedicated parking spot. They must have a separated entrance and a separate heating and ventilation system. And they have to be rented, not sold. So... There are some rules in place, but still the EFCL felt like approving secondary suites went a little bit too far. This is a problem that we'll see going forward in Edmonton, especially with consultation. We even saw it just last week on Playground Zones. Counselors were recommending, let's reach out to community leagues and bubble up that consultation. This over-reliance on community leagues, I get it. I'm happy with EFCL. I'm happy with community leagues. This is an Edmonton institution. We don't have a system like this anywhere else in the world. But at the end of the day, they're neighborhood recreation organizations. They bring communities together. 
they are not a fourth order of government. Yeah, they kind of do two jobs, right? There are the folks on the community league board who are expected to respond to development applications, things like that, to have an idea of what's going on in the community from a development point of view. And then there's operating a community hall and putting on fun activities in the community. And these two responsibilities are quite at odds with one another. The other thing that's challenging about community leagues, of course, is that sometimes the areas they cover are quite large and encompass quite a bit of variety in terms of types of housing or the other things that are available in that community. So it's really hard to speak for everyone when there's that much diversity. Yeah. And even in the newer communities, Edmonton hasn't historically had homeowners associations, but some of the new communities that are being developed, they have homeowners associations as well as community leagues. So that's blending the lines of well, what is the Community League's role as a consultative organization? I personally hope we see a de-emphasized role of Community Leagues in governance because, and you're on the Council Initiative for Public Engagement, we know that public engagement is a huge issue, but we've seen time and time again, Council and administration defer to Community Leagues and say, well, if the Community League is okay with it, then this is okay which isn't public engagement in any material fashion. I will say there was a recognition during the initiative when we were developing the new policy that using community leagues as shorthand for engaging the community is not okay. Using UDI as shorthand for engaging all of developers is not okay. UDI? The Urban Development Institute. Um, So there's a recognition that we need to go beyond the traditional, quote unquote, traditional sources of information when we're doing engagement and reach out to as broad a range of perspectives as possible. And those are some of the things that this new guiding coalition on public engagement will be working toward new tools and tactics and strategies and things like that to reach a broader audience. Troy's ranting corner is now concluded for the episode. The EFCL is not public engagement. Thank you very much. And despite their opposition, secondary suites have gone ahead and are now legal throughout the city. As one final note on secondary suites, I'll say secondary suites are such a benefit for densifying neighborhoods because we've had these sort of tools for densifying RF1 or single family home neighborhoods for quite a while. We've had the garage and garden suites. But when you actually look at the stats for garage and garden suites, those are typically built by individuals who are wealthy And half of all of them are rented out to families or friends for aging in place. Either it's a son who's 35 and can't get a job or is a millennial, uh, or it's an aging grandparent who wants to age in place. Sure. But this doesn't actually get us affordable housing, a variety of housing. Secondary suites are a much better alternative for people who are going to school, young professionals, new families to get their first sort of rent-based home before they upgrade to, you know, the Edmonton dream of three cars and a three-car garage living in Summerside. Secondary suites offer some greater variety in terms of housing choice, which is much needed in in Edmonton. That's going to wrap it up for this week of Speaking Municipally. Uh, All of you are dropping off the episode right now. I see the iTunes stats. Prove me wrong, guys. But while you're all closing your iTunes, Mac, tell us about some of the things Taproot Edmonton is doing to help make municipal politics more easy to understand. Next week, we're back with a committee week, so it'll be a busy week. Lots of items on the agenda. If you'd like to know what council is going to be discussing, read the council roundup. The idea is you read this one email and you'll be pretty well informed about what's coming up at council. Then you listen to Troy and I talk about the decisions that were made. You won't get to enjoy it next week because the fringe will be over, but I've also been subscribed to the fringe roundup from Taproot Edmonton and Hands down, my favorite thing every year because I'm a fringe fanatic. I like to go to a lot of shows, but 
the big problem with Fringe, over 200 shows, which ones do you go to? The Fringe Roundup gives me all the reviews every day, and it does some of its own reviews. We had Taproot doing their own Fringe reviews this year. Right. Mel Priestley is writing the Fringe Roundup, and she used this nifty little tool on the Fringe site, which is the randomizer button, to pick a show at random every day, and she writes a review about that. In addition to pointing out all of the other reviews that you can find online, she's done a really interesting job of talking about the various aspects of the Fringe that make the festival what it is. Food, drinking books, all kinds of things. You'll have, when you listen to this episode, maybe one day left. If you can make it to the Fringe, title of show is Troy's recommendation. It's fantastic. It's a musical that just gets his head right up its butt. It's a musical about writing a musical about writing a musical. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.